0: Not know how many of you all have had the privilege of standing before a group of people and um, preaching or teaching. Um, it's not as easy as you think it is. So if I uh, if I bow my head and read more than I look at you, I apologize. Um, I was talking with Alice this morning and she was telling me that she was praying for me and I thanked her for that because um, I do not feel ready to be here before you this morning. My sermon's ready, my body's ready, but my mind is not. And so I, uh, I just thank you for the privilege of being able to be here and to exposit God's Word. Um, our lesson today is entitled, Who is Serving Who? Um, the relationship between the elders and the church, and the, of the elders of the church and the congregation, is wildly misunderstood in the greater Christian community these days. The differences between how the elders function in different churches. And denominations is vast. As a matter of fact, in some instances, the reason that we have certain denominations is solely due to the different interpretations of the role of elders and the church government. (laughs) Some churches have elders, but they are led by the congregation as a whole, and every decision is made by a vote of the congregation. Some churches have elders, but they are pastor-led. Nearly every Everything the church does in this instance is determined by the one pastor and the congregation follows. Most churches are somewhere in the middle of these two extremes, but even then they don't always agree. Some churches have a pastor and then separate elders. The point is that there are many different views of how a church should be led. My goal this morning is to look at elders from a slightly different perspective than usual. I wish to help us as a congregation of Hope Community Bible Church to understand how we are to understand the elders and who they are, how many they are, and what their roles in the church are based on the way we see Scripture defining those things. But not only am I going to look at the elders' obligations and the elders' responsibility, I would like to also describe the way um, we see the role of the congregation in the church towards the elders. It is important that we begin with two things so that everyone knows where I'm coming from. First, God's word is the final authority for all truth. In association with that, it is imperative that we understand that with all things, there is but one and only one true interpretation of what God is saying in his word. Therefore, there is one and only one form of church government and only one true way for the elders in the congregation to work together. It is imperative for me, for you to understand that I have sought to relay this info with my best understanding of what God and his word is teaching. I have sought to understand it the way God intended it so that I can only teach the truth of God's word. I say that because I might be wrong but this is the way that I see it. Secondly, I'm going to briefly, only in this paragraph, talk about the qualifications of the elder. Many of you have probably heard many sermons on what an elder is to look like, the qualifications for that elder. They are set out by the Holy Spirit and relayed to Timothy and Titus through the Apostle Paul, and they are immensely important. It is essential that the congregation understand the type of men that should be called to the ministry of elder. And there are many great sermons out there on this subject. These qualifications are found in 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 7, and Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Many great preachers have exposited the scriptures and have spoken on these qualifications and explained each one. I encourage you to listen to these sermons. Our pastor has preached through these qualifications. Go back and listen to them. But for our purposes here today, I want to focus on the duties of the elder in leading the congregation and then also to look at the duties of the congregation in their relationship to the elders. There are also a couple of presuppositions that I'm going to get out of the way. I must define my terms so that everyone knows where we are coming from as we go through this sermon. First, we must assume that there is a plurality of elders. The term for elder is used in regards to the church nearly 20 times in the New Testament. Of those times, it is only used in the singular form three times. Twice, as John is referring to himself in the first verse of both 2nd and 3rd John. And lastly, when Peter is referring to himself in 1 Peter 5.1. All other times the term is used in regards to the church, it is in the plural form. Therefore, as we look at the obligations of the elders and the congregation to the elders, we must understand that I am talking about all the elders in the church, not just one pastor or teacher. Also, we must understand that in the New Testament we come across multiple words that are used to describe the same office of elder. First, you will obviously see the term elder. Then there is also overseer, pastor, shepherd. Biblically, all of these terms are interchangeable, and all that hold the office of elder in the church could also be called all of these other terms. Within a council of elders in the church, they are all equal, and none have more authority than any other elder. Here at Hope, we use the term pastor to describe the main teaching elder, but in reality, he is no different than Brett or Phil in any way other than he is supported as as a full-time teaching elder. Because these terms are synonymous and describe the same office, I also will use them interchangeably throughout the lesson today. So we'll begin with the obligations of the elders to the congregation. When many people think of the elder of the church, their first thought is that they are the official church board. They are influential people of the church and possibly even the community. They are largely successful business men who the church calls as an elder to make wise decisions financially or to reward them for their faithful attendance and giving. This view of the elder not only lacks any scriptural basis, but actually is contradictory to the New Testament teachings. According to the New Testament teachings of Luke and Paul, Peter, James, and the author of Hebrews, The elders' role can be summed up into four main obligations to the church. They are to shepherd, they are to oversee, they are to lead, and they are to care. So our first point here under the obligations of the elders is to shepherd the flock. Their first obligation is to shepherd the flock. The biblical image of a shepherd caring for his flock, standing long hours, ensuring its safety, leading it to fresh pasture, and clear water, carrying the weak, seeking the lost, healing the wounded and sick, is a precious image. The whole image of the shepherd is characterized by intimacy, tenderness, concern, skill, hard work, suffering, and love. The shepherd-sheep relationship is so incredibly rich that the Bible uses it repeatedly to describe God And his loving care for his people. Psalm 23 is one of the most beloved psalms, and in it, David exclaims, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. When Paul and Peter directly exhorted the elders to do their duty, they both employ this image of a shepherd. It should be noted that these two apostle teachers assign the task of shepherding the local church to no other group or single person except the elders. Paul reminds the elders that God the Holy Spirit placed them in the flock as overseers for the purpose of shepherding the church of God, Acts 20, 28. Peter exhorts the elders to be all that shepherds should be to the flock, 1 Peter 5, 2. Therefore, we must also view the New Testament elders to be primarily pastors of the people of the church, not corporate executives, CEOs, or advisors to the head pastor. As shepherds, one of the primary obligations to the congregation is to protect and guard them. So under this shepherding, our first point would be protect and guard. Protecting the flock is vitally important. Actually, In real life, sheep are defenseless. If a wolf, bear, lion, jackal, or even robbers were to come to destroy the sheep, they would not know what to do. Often in fear, they will not even run, but stand still, rooted to that spot, and watch their companions being cut to shreds. Charles Jefferson, a pastor in the late 1800s and early 1900s, wrote this. The journey from the cradle to the grave is hazardous. If every man is surrounded by perils, if the universe is alive with forces hostile to the soul, then watchfulness becomes one of the most critical of all the pastor's responsibilities. Elders, then, are to be protectors, watchmen, defenders, and guardians of the people. In order to accomplish this, shepherd elders need to be spiritually alert and must be men of courage, and so underneath this we will look at the elders being spiritually alert. A good shepherd should always be on the alert to danger. He knows the predator will understand he knows the predator and will understand the importance of acting wisely and quickly. This is why Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders in his farewell speech in Acts 20 to be on the alert. It is important that elders are involved in the study of what is going on and popular both in society and in the church. They must be continually educating themselves, especially in the word of God, walking with the Lord in a manner worthy of the gospel with which they have been called and praying for the flock and its individual members. How can they? What is the first thing they do as being spiritually alert? They judge doctrinal issues. They judge doctrinal issues. One of the ways that shepherds can protect and guard the flock of God is by judging doctrinal issues that arise. We don't see this today in the church as much as we did in the early church when we read about in Acts. But if you remember back in Acts 15 in Antioch, some men came from Jerusalem and they came to the church in Antioch and they began to teach that in order to be saved, you must follow the entirety of the Mosaic law, including but not limited to circumcision. Paul and Barnabas and some others in the church began to debate with these men from Jerusalem. And after some time and great discussion and dissension, it was determined that they would go to Jerusalem and to determine if these teachings were coming from the elders of the Jerusalem church. This controversy could have been handled in Antioch as the church there was autonomous and did not answer to the church in Jerusalem. But it was important to Paul and Barnabas that they go to the source of this teaching. Once they arrived in Jerusalem, verse 4 says they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. Then in verse 6, it is the apostles and elders that come together to look at this matter of false teaching. I keep calling it false teaching. But for them, they were trying to determine if it was false or not. Paul and Barnabas through the conviction of the holy spirit was sure that it was false but it was of such importance to truly determine its truthfulness that they took the matter to the apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem church where these teachings originated now we all know how this story ends the council determined that the truth was That we are all saved not by the works of the law, but by the grace of mercy, the grace and mercy of God through faith in the satisfying atonement of Christ on the cross, paying our penalty against the wrath of God. Alexander Strzok concludes his teaching on Acts 15 by writing Church elders hear and judge doctrinal issues, they help resolve conflict, they bear the responsibility from the doctrines taught by the members of the flock. Elders, therefore, must be men who know God's word. The second way that our elders can be spiritually alert is they literally says to be on guard. Acts 20 describes when Paul is headed back to Jerusalem and therefore he got to this ship to sail there and he found himself in a town that was close to Ephesus. From there, he called for the elders of Ephesus to come and see him before he left for Jerusalem, knowing that he would never see them again. Verses 18 to 35 relay the words of Paul to the elders of the church in Ephesus. While I'm only going to focus on a few of these verses, I would like to read it in its entire context. So starting in verse 18 of Acts 20, we read, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know From the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. Does it sound like a shepherd? Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify, excuse me, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs. And to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you. That by working hard in this manner. You must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. That he himself said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to focus on some things starting in verse 28. Verse 28 where Paul instructs the elders to be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. This verb that is translated be on guard is prosecco, which means to keep watch, to pay strict attention. It is an imperative verb, a command. The tense indicates a continuous action. So Paul is saying keep a constant and vigilant watch over yourselves and all the flock. The opposite would be to neglect the flock to be inattentive, or to be preoccupied with other matters so as to be unaware of the problems and dangers that are confronting the flock. Paul warns the elders here to keep watch over themselves, but more importantly for our study today, he commands them to pay strict attention to the flock. The imagery of the flock and shepherd from Paul reminds us that the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is essential. Without the shepherd, the flock is in danger. Sheep are defenseless, and because of this, an unguarded flock is constantly in peril. It is essential that a shepherd constantly keep watch over the flock. The command to guard the flock means that the elders must keep their minds on the church. They must be watchful and observant. They must be attentive at all times to the spiritual well-being of each and end of each individual member, they must watch for people who have wandered off from the flock, or for new believers who are struggling to survive. They must constantly be alert to dangers both from outside the flock and from within it. They must know about new trends and doctrines that will influence the people. The wise King Solomon gives similar counsel when he writes in Proverbs 27:23, "Know well." the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds the second way that a pastor elder can be on guard is by being a courageous fighter elders cannot be weak in their faith and in their diligence to act according to the teachings of God and his word they must have the courage to fight against false teaching and false teachers I'm reminded of the courage of David as a shepherd of his father's sheep and how it applies to our lesson here. David has come from the pasture, sent by his father to check on his brothers, sent to Saul in the army of, the, of Israel as they were lined up in battle array against the Philistines. There he heard about this great warrior of the Philistines, Goliath. He listened to the people tell him about the warrior's challenging words, how he had mocked God. And was teaching that God was not strong enough to overcome the Philistines. And even himself. The false teaching of Goliath made David angry. And he decided to go out against this warrior. Not only to defeat him physically, but to defeat his words. And show that the God of Israel was strong. David went to Saul and asked to be allowed to fight Goliath. Listen to David as he teaches the truth of God's power. 1 Samuel seventeen thirty three through 37. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you were but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. I love David's response. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and attacked him, And rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Courage, such as David possessed, is an essential leadership quality. To discipline sin in the church, especially the sin of prominent members or leaders, to confront internal strife, and to stand up to powerful teachers and theological luminaries who expound high-sounding false doctrines requires courage. Without courage to fight for the truth in the lives of God's people, the local church would be washed away by every new doctrinal storm or internal conflict. Back in Acts 20, Paul continues with his imagery of the shepherd and the flock as he tells the Ephesian elders that savage wolves will come in among you. Paul warns that the wolves will not spare the flock. These wolves will stalk the flock. They are savage and fierce. They are strong and cunning. They are persistent and they come from every side. They are insatiable and merciless in their appetite for devouring Christians. Their presence can only bring death, confusion, and destruction. He even says that these wolves may even come from within the church. These wolves will ravage the flock by teaching perverse and false things that will draw away the disciples, the members of the church. Paul charges the elders that now that he is gone, it will be up to them to be on the alert, to guard and protect the flock that belongs to God. Gregorio is the Greek word translated as alert. It literally means to keep awake or not sleep. It is translated as be watchful, be vigilant, stay awake and ready for action. In our verse, it is a present tense imperative verb, a command that means keep on being alert and ready for action. It implies a conscientious effort, a mental and spiritual attitude of complete alertness. So the first thing that our shepherds are to do is to protect and guard the flock. The next thing that a shepherd does is feed the flock. All elders are required to be able to teach. Throughout the New Testament, there is much said about teaching God's word as one of the main duties of all believers, but especially those appointed as elders. In Acts 2.42, we see that the early Christians were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Acts 11.25-26 tells of Barnabas seeking out Paul and then Paul bringing him to Antioch with the purpose of helping him teach. Paul exhorts Timothy in 1 Timothy 4:13 to give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Interestingly, when Ezekiel presents a picture of a bad shepherd, the first stroke of his brush is he does not feed the flock. It is essential that the shepherd feeds the flock. Without the shepherd, the sheep would continue to feed in the same pasture, and once all the grass was gone, they would starve. Charles Jefferson aptly reminds us, everything depends on the proper feeding of the sheep. Unless wisely fed, they become emaciated and sick, and the wealth invested in them is squandered. The church is created by the Spirit's use of God's Word. The community also matures it grows, it is protected by the word. Therefore, it is a scriptural requirement that an elder be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict, Titus nine. The elders protect, guide, lead, nourish, comfort, educate, and heal the flock, all by teaching and preaching the word. The failure of church elders to know and teach the Bible is one of the chief reasons Doctrinal error floods churches today and drowns the power and life of the church. The next thing that an elder does is he leads. His obligation to the congregation is leading them. In biblical language, to shepherd a nation or any group of people means to lead or to govern. According to Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5, elders shepherd the church of God. So to shepherd a local church means, among other things, to lead the church. Psalm 23 expresses the need for the shepherd to lead the sheep where they will best be fed and best be watered. Elders then are to lead, direct, govern, manage, and care for the flock of God. Titus 1.7 tells us that an elder is God's steward A steward is a household manager, someone with official responsibility over the master's servants, property, and even finances. Elders are stewards of God's household and the local church. Their fourth responsibility, their fourth obligation is caring for the flock. Elders are also responsible for the practical care of the flock's many diverse needs. James instructs those that are very sick to call for the elders of the church so that they may pray over them and anoint them with oil, James 5.14. In Acts 20.35, Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders to care for the weak and the needy of the flock. He says, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. As shepherds of the flock, the elders must be available to meet whatever needs the sheep have. This means visiting the sick Comforting the bereaved, strengthening the weak, praying for all the sheep, visiting new members, providing counsel for couples who are engaged, married, or struggling in their marriage. And managing the many day-by-day details of the inner life of the congregation. While caring for the flock is a part of the duty and obligation of the elders to the congregation, this, like all the other obligations, are not to be only done by the elders. There are many times when others in the church that are not elders will teach and feed members of the flock. I think of the children's ministry, and while there may be an elder involved, he may not be the only one to teach and feed the youth of the church. I remember we had a member here at Hope once who was gifted in staying up to date with the many new and confusing false teachings that were rearing their ugly head in the church. He was not an elder, but he was able to help the elders at the time to be aware of those, these false teachings and teachers. Even now we have members that are not elders that help lead the flock as members of the leadership team. They help the elders and the deacons to lead and guide the flock. The shepherd imagery blends the ideas of authority and leadership with self-sacrifice, tenderness, wisdom, hard work, loving care, and constant watchfulness. Shepherding requires long hours of work and complete attention. The shepherd must always be with the sheep. It demands knowledge of the sheep, good management skills, and courage in the face of danger. Most important, it demands love for the sheep. Thus, to shepherd means to govern the church of God, to provide leadership and guidance for the church, to teach and correct from God's word, and to provide protection from all dangers that threaten the life of the church. So ultimately, the first obligation for the elder is to shepherd the flock. His next obligation is to be God's steward. The elder is to be God's steward. In Titus 1.7, Paul is instructing Titus to appoint elders in every church, in every city in Crete. As part of his instruction, he gives the qualification of, of an elder, and then he interjects this phrase, as God's steward. Paul has used this, the imagery of the shepherd, but here he employs another term to describe the elder. The Greek word oikonomos means house manager. This is a steward. This steward is a manager, administrator. He is a trustee of someone else's household or property or business. A steward acts on behalf of another's interests or possessions. He is accountable and responsible to another for what is entrusted to his care. As the steward, the elder does not own the church or the people of the church, but he is in charge of their spiritual nourishment, growth, and behavior. God's steward must see that the household of God is cared for and looked after and that their energies and lives are directed to the will of the master. The steward must do the will of the master, carrying out his word without any deviation whatsoever. We have taken now some time to look at the obligations of the elders to the congregation, and I hope this helps you understand the hard work that the elder is employed in and the tireless diligence they display in the work that God has called them to accomplish. While there is so much more that God's word says to instruct the elders and to teach them as to what they are to do and how they are to live, it is also not silent as to what the congregation is expected to do for the elders. So now we will look at the congregation's obligations. The first congregation obligation is to examine the elders. 1 Timothy 3.10 says, These men must also first be tested, Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Paul writes to Timothy about the qualifications of the elders and the deacons. At the end of the qualifications of the deacons, he writes this statement that the deacons must be tested. But he adds a word that could easily be missed. He says, also. These men that are called to be deacons must also be tested and it is implied that the also is in regards to the elders. So just like the elders, the deacons should be tested. Paul is making sure that Timothy knows and understands that the officers of the church must fit the qualifications and the church must test them to make sure that they are qualified. Here at Hope, We include the names of prospective elders in the bulletin before the church business meeting so that the members of the congregation can see them and assist the elders in their examination of the men being called. Knowing that the elders' duty to the church is to protect them and to guard them against false teachers and savage wolves from outside and inside, then it is a primary duty of the elders to examine any man that is desiring to be an elder. But even with the diligence of the elders to make sure that prospective elders are qualified, they may miss something or just not be privy to information that individuals in the congregation may have. Therefore, it is important for Paul to exhort Timothy to instill this process of examination for the elders and deacons by the other elders and the congregation. We see this worked out in Acts 6 where there is a complaint by some of the congregation that some of the widows are being overlooked. The wisdom of the apostles acting as the elders of the church gave the task to the congregation to find seven men of good reputation full of the spirit and of wisdom. And Once the congregation examined the men and selected them, they brought them to the elders and the apostles examined and prayed and laid hands on them. The second obligation for the congregation is to appreciate the elders. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Paul uses an interesting word here that is translated as appreciate. The word literally means to perceive by sight or to see. Paul is calling for the congregation to see what the elders are doing and to know (laughs) that they are to be appreciated for what they do. The idea is that the congregation needs to come to know the worth of their leaders. They must not remain ignorant concerning, sorry, they must not remain ignorant concerning them but by careful consideration come to a full understanding of the true character and their diligent labor. Ray Stedman adds that the congregation should not take them for granted. Paul gives three reasons why the congregation should appreciate and not take for granted their leaders. The first one is their diligent labor. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 there, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently... Labor among you. The word for labor is kapayo, which is a term used to describe manual labor. It is a strong word denoting toil and strenuous work that results in weariness and fatigue. The phrase diligently labor then reveals a vitally important aspect of eldership, and that is hard work. Caring for people's spiritual welfare is stressful work. It is emotionally draining, time-consuming, and often monotonous and discouraging. It requires a great deal of personal dedication and sacrifice. A biblical eldership is not a church board that conducts business for two or three hours a month. It is a hard-working, pastoral body. Secondly, Paul says that they have charge over you. We are to appreciate, we are to appreciate elders because they have charge over you. Over you. The clause have charge over translates the one Greek word prohisteme, which means lead, preside, govern, manage. It has an idea of support and caring for those that you lead. Paul has also used this same word in 1 Timothy 3 4 and 5, where he's describing a father's management of his family, particularly the leading, managing, and providing care. For his children. He also uses the word in 1 Timothy five seventeen The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Here Prohistome is translated ruled well. But the elders do not naturally have charge over the congregation. As we've seen already, they are stewards of the church. They rule well because they are taking care of something that they do not own. Something precious. It is owned by the one that they fear and honor themselves. Paul says that the elders have charge over you in the Lord. They are given this authority only through the grace of God. Paul also says that they give instruction. They give you instruction. The word translated instruction is now thetio, which would be better translated admonish. To instruct in the sense of admonishing means to warn or correct improper behavior or attitudes through sound teaching. John R.W. Stott illuminates the meaning of this word when he writes that it is almost invariably used in an ethical contest contest. It means to warn against bad behavior and its consequences and to reprove, even discipline, those who have done wrong. Being a negative word, it is often coupled with teaching. Moreover, Nathautio does not denote a harsh ministry. As Leon Morris has put it, while its tone is brotherly, it is big brotherly. The third thing that the congregation is obligated to do for the elders is to esteem their elders. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, where it says, And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Here Paul continues his thought of appreciating elders by adding that we should also esteem them very highly. Paul is not happy with just esteeming elders, but magnifies the thought of adding very this thought by adding very highly. George Findlay speaks of this exuberant word as the strongest, intensive possible to the language so deep and warm should be the affection uniting pastors and their flocks god cares about how people treat those who are in authority both paul and peter admonish their readers to not only obey but to honor our rulers in romans 13:7 and 1 peter 2:17 in acts 23:5 paul expresses remorse for how he had rudely spoken to the high priest ananias Adding, For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. If the disobedience and ingratitude of people toward their civil leaders concerns God deeply, imagine how much greater is his concern that his people properly honor their spiritual leaders. Our natural tendency is to take our leaders for granted, forget what they have done for us, complain rather than be thankful accentuate the bad and disregard the good. For example, God gave Israel some of the greatest leaders in human history, men like Moses and David. Yet during difficult times, the people were ready in a moment to stone both of them. Our fourth obligation to our elders is to love the elders. We see this also in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, that you esteem them very highly. How? in love because of their work. Paul continues his thought by adding that we are to esteem our leaders in love. We usually emphasize the importance of the church shepherds loving the people, and that is absolutely necessary. But here, Paul turns the tables and charges the people to love their shepherds. It cannot be emphasized enough. The best thing a congregation can do for its leaders is to love them. Love, and only love, suffers long. Love covers a multitude of sins. Paul also gives a reason to esteem and love the elders. Why do we esteem and love the elders? He says it is because of their work. Leaders are not to be loved and esteemed because they are older men. They are not to be loved and esteemed because they hold special religious titles. Or even that they have winning personalities. They are to be loved and esteemed because they work diligently, caring for the people and their problems, handing them their seemingly endless, handling some their seemingly endless complaints, refereeing interpersonal conflicts, confronting sin, and encouraging people toward maturity in Christ. This is all in addition to the time spent studying. And knowing God's word to teach and admonish those that they love. Our fifth reason, our fifth obligation to the elders is to live holy lives. 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Here it is. Keep yourself free from sin. I remember a game that all kids play. It's a game that has been played generation after generation. I promise that everyone in this room has played this game. This game is called Hide and Seek. We all know how to play this game. I remember playing it as a kid, and I never wanted to be the one that searched for the people. I wanted to be the one that was never found. I wanted to hide so well that the person that was it would search high and low and never find me. We've played hide and seek with the little kids down in the basement. And they always come to me, hide me, hide me. And I hide them and no one will find them. I think we have translated our love for hiding things into our spiritual lives. We all know we sin but we all also do a very good job at hiding it. The job of the elder is to pray for and work to accomplish the purity of the flock. Hebrews 13.17 13, says that our leaders will give an account for the souls that are under their care. I pray that each of us here will not mark up our ledger with a multitude of sins. For our sake and the sake of those elders, we should love. Next, the obligation of the elder of the congregation to the elders is to honor. Their elders to honor their elders. We see this in 1 Timothy 5:17 and 19, where it says the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. It is clear in Paul's teaching here that the desire is for the church to honor their elders. But how is he calling us to honor them? Many people have taken this verse to show that we are to pay those that work hard at preaching and teaching, and they're not wrong. But it says that all the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, not just those that preach and teach. It does single out those that it does single out those that work hard at preaching and teaching as especially deserving of this double honor, but the admonition is to honor all the elders who rule well. Paul is charging Timothy to make sure that the elders are respected, considered fully, and highly regarded. This can include the idea of monetary aid, but it doesn't have to. I think there are many ways that we can honor our elders that do not include money. One of the ways we can honor our elders is to protect them. We see this in verse 19 of 1 Timothy 5. It helps us in one way that we can protect them by not receiving an accusation against an elder. It is easy for people to disrespect and dishonor those who are appointed and placed in authority, even if those that are in position were placed there by the Holy Spirit. Those in leadership are easy targets. Throughout Scripture, we see godly men like Joseph, Moses, David, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, and even Paul all experiencing the bitter sting of false accusations. We must not be naive enough to think that our elders are immune to the same or similar treatment. It is the duty of the congregation to be careful when an accusation is brought against an elder. This is not to say that an elder is without sin. And that there are instances when an elder is worthy of being disciplined. But Paul makes sure that he is clear in telling his readers to follow the principles taught by our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 18. And not to bring out dirty laundry for all to see unless that elder is not listening and and repenting. Our elders are due the honor deserving of a shepherd and a steward that are placed in their role by God. Next, A congregation is to imitate their elders. Imitate their elders. We see this in Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to leave this one short and sweet. All I'm going to do is quote Spurgeon on this thought. He said, There is an itching nowadays after originality, striking out a path for yourself. When sheep do that, they are bad sheep. Sheep follow the shepherd, and in a measure they follow one another when they are all together following the shepherd. Our great master never aimed at originality. He said that he did not even speak his own words, but the words that he heard from his father. He was docile and teachable. As the Son of God and the servant of God, his ear was open to hear the instructions of the Father, and he could say, I always do the things that are pleasing to him, John 8, 29. Now that is the true path for a Christian to take, to follow Jesus, and in consequence, to follow all such true saints as may be worthy of being followed, imitating the godly so far as they imitate Christ. Imitate. The elders. Next, we see that we should obey and submit to the elders. We see this in Hebrews 13:17. That we obey and submit to the elders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Christians are not only to obey to listen, to follow their leaders, but are also to submit, yield, give way, defer to them. This means Christians are to be responsive to their leaders, yield to their authority and subordinate themselves to them, even when they have a difference of opinion. A spirit of obedience and submission to authority is fundamental to Christian living. Submission is the fruit of genuine humility and faith. True submission to God naturally expresses itself in obedience and submission to earthly authority. Thus, genuine submission to God and His Word expresses itself in obedience and submission in the home, in marriage, at work, in society, and in the local assembly of believers. People who are stubborn and unsubmissive are unteachable and incapable of changing for their own good. When God's people act independently and in their own self-will, there is little growth, little peace, little joy in the ministry of the local church. Only when believers properly submit to their spiritual leaders does the local church have any chance to be growing, loving, joyous family of God that it is supposed to be. The author of Hebrews gives us a valid reason to obey and submit to our elders, I've mentioned this already, but a very important reason for submission and obedience to our elders is because they keep watch over, also that could mean for, they keep watch for your souls. Keep watch brings to mind the watchman of a city. Like that watchman, the elders must always be keenly alert and diligent. Watchfulness demands tireless effort, self-discipline, and selfless concern for the safety of others. Bible commentator R.C.H. Linsky points out that keeping watch implies potential danger. He says, watching implies keeping oneself and others safe where danger is known to exist and one fears its existence. Where no danger exists, watching is not needed. All this applies to the church in the highest degree where the safety of souls is to be guarded, unquote. In the army, I remember, we would set up a camp. And around the camp, we would set up a perimeter. Along that perimeter, we would assign guards. They would dig a hole in the ground and pile sandbags up in front of that hole where two people would stand guard and watch for the invading enemy that would try to sneak into the camp to destroy the company of the soldiers. If any of the watchmen failed in their duty, the lives of every soldier was at stake. A soldier who failed in his duty as a watchman was held accountable even if no enemy came. He or she could be court-martialed for falling asleep when he was stationed at the perimeter to keep watch. If the spiritual leader, the elder, fails at their task, God's people will be hurt. Thus they, like the watchman or the soldier, are keenly aware that they will have to render an account to God for the critical task that is entrusted to them. Linsky chillingly reminds us whoever assumes or is given the responsibility over the souls of any others, even if only one other, is fully accountable. The author of Hebrews admonishes his readers to make sure that they are to allow their leaders to do their jobs of keeping watch over their souls with joy and not grief. Every shepherd knows the inexpressible joy of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel, watching people grow as a result of teaching the word and seeing the flock prosper. John the Apostle expressed this joy where he said, I have no greater true joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. This joy, which every leader has a right to expect, is possible only when the people obey and submit to their leaders. When God's people disobey, complain, and fight, the joys of shepherding vanish. When Christians refuse to heed the shepherd's warning, the shepherds feel grief. This grief can also be rendered a groan, a sigh, or a moan. It is a deep sorrow and longing for better conditions. And the author finishes his thought of not grieving the elders through means of an intentional understatement Did you see it? If you grieve the elders, this would not be, this would be unprofitable for you. Intentionally understating the truth. Lastly, we are to pray for the elders. As a congregation, we are to pray for the elders. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 5.25 where Paul asks the people, brethren, pray for us. My dear friends, I want you to know that the greatest thing you can do for your elders, the most loving thing you can do for them, the thing that will bring them the most joy in serving you is if you you pray for them. I ask you to take this last point seriously. Not that any of the others are to be taken frivolously, but when you go home today, make sure that you pray for your elders. Tomorrow, when you wake up, make sure that you pray for your elders. When you read your Bible, make sure that you pray for your elders. When you're driving in your car, make sure that you are praying for your elders. When you eat your meals, make sure you will pray for your elders. When you think that you have prayed for your elders enough then make sure that you pray for them again. I pray that this has been a profitable study for you all. And I pray that you will heed the words of the Lord, knowing your obligations to the elders and understanding what those obligations are. Appreciate them. Esteem them very highly. Love them. Honor them. Imitate them. Obey and submit to them. And pray for them. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace and give you glory and praise that you, through your Holy Spirit, have called men, courageous, strong men, to lead us. Father, we do thank you for our leaders here at Hope. We thank you for our Pastor Ed. We thank you for Brett. We thank you for Phil. We thank you for their diligence to this congregation. Father, may we live out these obligations that we have seen today. I pray that you will be blessed and that the people will be blessed by the hearing of your word. We give you glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.